Welcome to the Book of Mormon, a masterclass. This podcast is designed to help you come closer to Jesus Christ by seriously studying the Book of Mormon. This was originally designed as a video course. To see the visuals for this episode, please visit johnhiltonii.com slash the Book of Mormon. Many years ago, I heard a story about some missionaries who were in a dark alley. A mugger approached them, pulled out a gun, and demanded their money. One of the missionaries reached into his pocket to pull out his wallet, but the mugger thought he was going for a gun, and so he shot the missionary right in the chest. The missionary fell back, but then got up and started walking towards the mugger, and the mugger was so frightened he dropped his gun and ran away. The missionary's companion turned to him and said, how is it that you're still alive? The missionary reached into his breast pocket and pulled out one of those tiny copies of the Book of Mormon, and he showed how the bullet was lodged at 2 Nephi chapter 19, he said, nothing can get through 2 Nephi. Now that's a made up story and hopefully a little bit of a joke, but I don't think that Nephi would laugh at it. As we've seen throughout this masterclass, Nephi loves Isaiah and Isaiah has so many important lessons to teach us. Today, we are going to get through these Isaiah chapters in the Book of Mormon and spend some time exploring what we can learn from 2 Nephi chapters 19 through 24. But first, I actually want to jump back to chapter 15 and pick up a verse that we didn't have time to study in our previous class. In 2 Nephi chapter 15, verse 20, we read, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I think this is something that we commonly see today, people calling evil good or good evil. Take a moment and think about your life. What examples have you seen of people calling evil good or good evil? Let's listen to a few quick thoughts from some members of our masterclass. In the world today, one way that I see people calling good evil and evil good is when they choose to follow their own truth instead of God's commandments. I have a 10 year old son and I'm beginning to recognize that many of today's most popular video games marketed towards children and played by his peers are full of violent and sexual content. I believe that many of today's most popular video games are evil being called good. This weekend I was a chaperone for 14 high school students at a theater conference and competition. There were many students who competed with monologue scenes and musical numbers that were absolutely vile and ended up being awarded best in show. I had three of my seminary students there with me, including my 15 year old daughter. And it was interesting to discuss how the world celebrates evil, even when it's performed by those who are still essentially children. Those of us who were uncomfortable were uncertain who to speak up to simply because of the nature of theater and how it's typically run by those who celebrate what has been termed alternative lifestyles or alternative choices even here in a very conservative state like Oklahoma. Isaiah warns us, and Nephi will warn us as well, to beware of calling evil good or good evil. Now let's turn and look at a little verse from 2 Nephi chapter 19, verse 21. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, they together shall be against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. True or false, a principle from this verse is that no matter how bad things get, God's hand is always stretched out. 
Now, this is a trick question. The answer is false. And let's explain and unpack this verse a little bit. It's a true principle that God's hand is always stretched out, but that's not what this verse is teaching. If you notice, it says, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. How is the Lord's hand stretched out in 2 Nephi chapter 19? In order for us to understand this verse, we've got to go back to 2 Nephi chapter 15, where this motif in Isaiah of the Lord's hand being stretched out begins. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people, and he hath stretched forth his hand against them and hath smitten them. So notice that in this verse, the stretched forth hand isn't a stretching forth of love. It's a stretched forth to smite. And the hills that trembled, the carcasses were torn in the midst of the street. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. We see the same thing multiple times in 2 Nephi chapters 19 and 20. Therefore, the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, For every one of them is a hypocrite. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now, this might seem like a minor point, but I think it's valuable to read scripture in context to understand what it's saying. Now, what if you're giving a talk and you want to use a verse that talks about the Lord's merciful hand being stretched out? There are verses like that. For example, In 2 Nephi 28, 32, the Lord says, I will be merciful unto them if they repent and come unto me. For mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord of hosts. Or in Jacob chapter 6, verse 4, we read, How merciful is our God unto us, for he remembereth the house of Israel, and he stretches forth his hand unto them all the day long. Sometimes, Like in 2 Nephi 15 and 19, the Lord's hand is stretched out in a smiting motion, helping his children come back to the fold. Always his hand is stretched out in love and mercy. Now let's turn to 2 Nephi chapter 19. We know that a general theme for this section of Isaiah is judgments of God against prideful nations. As we read this verse, see if you can figure out which prideful nation is being judged here. The Lord sent his word unto Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel, and all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of their heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him, and join his enemies together, the Syrians before the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. That's an example of a verse that was probably really complicated before I learned about the Isaiah map. But now when I see words like Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, I can recognize this is a prophecy about Israel. Ephraim is the dominant tribe. Samaria is their capital city. They're speaking pridefully, and the Lord says, as a result, they're going to receive some consequences. This theme of judgments of God against prideful nations occurs over and over in the book of Isaiah. Let's try another example. In 2 Nephi chapter 20, we read, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger, 
the staff in their hand is their indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil. Now, let's just pause and realize that this is going to be a judgment of God against Assyria. What the Lord is saying so far is that he's been using Assyria as an instrument or a rod in his hand to rebuke prideful nations like Israel. One of the keys to understanding this passage is to note when the speaker shifts. At first, the Lord is speaking. Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but in his heart it is to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. For he saith, and I'm going to insert a quotation mark there. This is now the king of Assyria speaking. Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kalno as Carchemish? Is not Hamath as Arpad? Is not Samaria as Damascus? As my hand hath founded the kingdom of the idols, and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? Now, this is admittedly a complicated passage, but what's happening here is the Lord is saying that the king of Assyria is saying, look, I've destroyed all these countries. I'm so powerful. They all have idols from the perspective of the king of Assyria. All these different countries are worshiping idols, including Judah. So he says, I'm going to go destroy Judah as well. But the Lord then says, whoa, 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 no. I was using you as an instrument in my hands to cut down some of these nations, but now you're going too far. Continuing in 2 Nephi chapter 20, we read, When the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and upon Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. Can you see how this is a judgment of God against Assyria for pride? And then again, the Lord is going to quote the king of Assyria. So notice the speaker change. For he, the king of Assyria, saith, By the strength of my hand, by my wisdom, I have done these things. For I am prudent, and I have moved the borders of the people, and have robbed their treasures. And I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people. Over and over again, the king of Assyria is boasting about what he's done. But then the Lord uses this analogy to help us understand. He says, Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? So think about this analogy. If you've got a person swinging an axe to chop down a tree, which is more important, the axe or the person swinging the axe? Obviously, both are valuable, but without the person to swing the axe, nothing happens. In this analogy, Assyria is the axe. It's been an instrument in the Lord's hand to chop down prideful nations. But now the king of Assyria thinks he's the one swinging the axe, and the Lord says, no, 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 because you've become prideful, now you are going to be cut down. Let's take a look at a judgment of God against one more nation. See if you can figure out which nation this is a judgment against. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah did see, everyone that is proud shall be thrust through, yea, everyone that is joined to the wicked shall fall by the sword. Their children shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Behold, I will stir up the meads against them, which shall not regard silver and gold, nor shall they delight in it. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Hopefully you can see how this is a judgment of God against Babylon. They've become prideful and as a result are going to be cut down. Notice how it talks about the Medes in this passage. You and I might not be 100% clear who the Medes are, but since we know that Persia is going to be the next superpower, we can kind of assume that there's a connection there. Continuing in 2 Nephi 23, we read, It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there. Their houses shall be full of doleful creatures. Owls shall dwell there, satyrs shall dance there. And the wild beasts of the land shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant places. For I will destroy her speedily. Yea, I will be merciful unto my people, but the wicked shall perish. I used to love this verse because it talked about dragons, and I thought, dragons in the Book of Mormon, how cool is that? But we've got to remember that Isaiah is speaking poetically. You can see in this verse that what he's talking about is that Babylon will be left completely desolate. From these chapters, we learn that the Lord does not like pride. He will punish the wicked, but he also holds out mercy and hope for those who repent. We might be thinking to ourselves, well, lucky I don't live in Isaiah's day when pride was a problem. But Nephi is going to incorporate all of this into his prophecy about us in the latter days. He says, the Gentiles are lifted up in pride. They have all gone out of the way because of pride. In their pride, they are puffed up. So pride is an issue for you and me today. How do we conquer pride? Several years ago, President Dieter F. Uchtdorf gave a talk that lodged into my heart about pride, its dangers, and how we can overcome it. He said, at its core, pride is a sin of comparison. For though it usually begins with, look how wonderful I am and what great things I have done, it always seems to end with, Therefore, I am better than you. When our hearts are filled with pride, we commit a grave sin, for we violate the two great commandments. Instead of worshiping God and loving our neighbor, we reveal the real object of our worship and love, the image we see in the mirror. So how do we conquer this sin of pride that is so prevalent and so damaging? How do we become more humble? We don't discover humility by thinking less of ourselves, we discover humility by thinking less about ourselves. It comes as we go about our work with an attitude of serving God and our fellow man. Humility directs our attention and love towards others and to Heavenly Father's purposes. Pride does the opposite. Pride draws its energy and strength from the deep wells of selfishness. The moment we stop obsessing with ourselves and lose ourselves in service, our pride diminishes and begins to die. Let's turn now to see how a prophecy from back in 2 Nephi chapter 18 is going to be fulfilled in the chapters we're studying today. Back in 2 Nephi chapter 18, this is in the context of Ahaz being worried that Syria and Israel are coming to attack him. Isaiah writes, The Lord spake also unto me again, saying, for as much as this people refuseth the water of Shiloah that go softly and rejoice in Rezin and Remaliah's son, now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, even the king of Assyria and all his glory. He shall come up over all his channels and shall go over all his banks. He shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow 
he shall reach even to the neck. So this is a prophecy about how because some of the people in Ahaz's day weren't following the Lord, that Assyria was going to overflow its banks or go beyond its borders, come in and attack Judah and stretch even to the neck. Well, let's learn a little bit more about how this is fulfilled. Because if you remember from our Isaiah map discussion, it's Babylon that will ultimately destroy Jerusalem and send the Jews into exile. But Assyria also attacks Judah. In fact, in 2 Nephi chapter 20, we read this passage. I think you're going to love it. He has come to Ayath. He has passed to Migron. At Mishmash, he hath laid up his carriages. They are gone over the passage. They have taken up their lodging at Gibeah. Ramoth is afraid. Gibeah of Saul is fled. Lift up the voice, O daughter of Galim. Cause it to be heard unto Laish, O poor Anathoth. Madmana is removed. The inhabitants of Geban gather themselves to flee. As yet he shall remain at Nob that day. Boom. Do you love it? Is that one of your favorite passages of all times? If you're an ordinary person, you read that passage, you're like, this makes no sense. But it's become one of my favorite passages because if you remember what Nephi taught, that understanding the geography is an important key for understanding Isaiah. When I saw a map that laid out all of these cities, Ayath, Ramoth, Gibeah, you can see that they're all cities in a row leading to Jerusalem. It's like Isaiah is describing the march of the Assyrian army. And then when we read that phrase, as yet he shall remain at Nob that day. Nob is a tiny little city just outside of Jerusalem. And so it's like the Lord is saying, Assyria will advance, but at the last moment, God will intervene and protect Jerusalem. If you're more familiar with Utah County, we might see something like this. Alpine is destroyed. Cedar Hills is in ruins. American Fork is fled. Pleasant Grove is in flames. As yet, he shall remain in Orem that day, keeping us safe in the promised land of Provo. Now, this is a story that we might not be as familiar with because it's not found in the Isaiah chapters that Nephi quotes. We can read more about this account in Isaiah chapters 36 through 39 or 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. But basically what's happening is, if you remember in our previous class, Ahaz was worried that Syria and Israel were attacking him. So he started paying tribute to the king of Assyria, even though Isaiah said not to make alliances with other nations. Well, now this has heavy repercussions in the following generation. Now Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, is on the throne. He stops paying tribute to Assyria, and Assyria comes to attack. Several villages and towns and cities in Judah are destroyed, and now you've got 180,000 Assyrian soldiers right in front of Jerusalem. How would you feel if you were Hezekiah? He uses a terrible metaphor saying, this is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy for the children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring them forth. What a horrible metaphor. If a woman doesn't have strength to bring forth her child, the child will die. She will die. That's how Hezekiah feels. We are doomed. But Isaiah is still the prophet and he's still close to the king. And so he comes to King Hezekiah and he says, Thus saith the Lord, be not afraid. What a powerful message for you or for me if our backs are ever to the wall, if we ever feel like, Hezekiah, this is a day of trouble, a day of blasphemy, a day of rebuke. 
Thus says the Lord, Be not afraid. For the people in Jerusalem at that time, the Lord caused a miracle. The angel of the Lord went forth among the Assyrian army, and they all perished. How about for you and for me? What is the phrase, as yet he shall remain at Nob that day, mean for us? There are definitely times in our lives when our backs are to the wall, we need a miracle, and it happens. I also want to highlight, though, that there will be times when people die, when a sickness doesn't get better, when the thing that we're praying for desperately doesn't come to pass in the way that we want. We might wonder to ourselves, well, what's the relevance then of remaining at Nob that day for me right now? I take great comfort in this phrase. It will work out in the end. If it's not working out, it's not the end. Sometimes we have to look beyond this life to see the results of as yet he shall remain at Nob this day. But I testify that because of Jesus Christ, things always will in the end, work out. Now, we've been reading so many prophecies of war, pride, destruction. It's getting a little discouraging. We might ask ourselves, is there anything hopeful going on in these chapters at all? Let's look at 2 Nephi chapter 19, verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. We might see these as Verses about Judah. It's been walking through a difficult time. Things have been really hard. If we wanted to just stay with the map and the context of Isaiah's generation, after Assyria is defeated, there's going to be a time period of relative peace amongst the people of Judah. We read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This could be a reference to King Hezekiah or his descendant, Josiah. Again, if we just wanted to stay with Isaiah's day and time. But I think you and I know that this is also a prophecy about something much more significant. There's a people spiritually who have been walking in darkness. And because of Jesus Christ, we don't need to walk in darkness anymore. We can see Jesus Christ in the phrase, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of peace, there is no end. In this masterclass, we focus a lot on what Isaiah's words meant to the people of his day and time or the following generation. And I think that can be really helpful because that's a hard part of understanding Isaiah. And once we get it, it makes it so much easier to liken his words to ourselves. But it would be a serious mistake if we didn't pause and focus on a few of these phrases from Isaiah that directly point us to Jesus Christ. Can a woman forget her sucking child? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. I am he that comforteth you. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. Jesus Christ is the source of peace, and Isaiah points us to him. Now, before we wrap up our class today, there's one more chapter of Isaiah that I want us to focus on. It's Isaiah chapter 11, or 2 Nephi chapter 21. 
This is an important chapter because when the angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith, he quoted the 11th chapter of Isaiah, saying it was about to be fulfilled. So although this chapter has relevance for Isaiah's day and time, its most important application is for us today. Think of it. Moroni quoted this chapter and said, it's about to be fulfilled. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself, Brother Hilton, I wish I could read a whole article all about this chapter. Wish granted. I've put an article all about it on the course website. But for now, I want to just highlight a few important points from this chapter. At the end of 2 Nephi chapter 20, there's an image of a forest that's been chopped down. And then in 2 Nephi 21, we read, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. One of our best resources for understanding this chapter is to look at Doctrine and Covenants section 113, where the Lord kind of does a question and answer session with Joseph Smith and others on different passages from Isaiah. In Doctrine and Covenants section 113, we read, Who is the stem of Jesse, spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth verses of the 11th chapter of Isaiah? Verily thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. So in other words, after all of this destruction of the forest, out of the stumps of a tree will grow forth Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David. If we keep reading in section 113, the next question is, what is the rod spoken of in the first verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah that should come from the stem of Jesse? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a servant in the hands of Christ, who is partly a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Ephraim, or of the house of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power. The verses aren't specific about who this person is, but it seems like we could see this as being about Joseph Smith, that he is coming forth from Jesus Christ as his representative in the latter days to help establish God's work. The verses go on to describe Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Jesus and shall make him of quick understanding. With righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. This sounds like a description of the second coming. So Moroni is telling Joseph Smith, this is going to happen relatively soon. If we keep reading in Isaiah 11 or 2 Nephi 21, we read about the wolf dwelling with the lamb, the leopard with the kid, with children playing with dangerous snakes. This sounds like a description of the millennium when there's great happiness and peace in the land. I think it's really interesting that these same verses from Isaiah chapter 11 that Nephi quotes in 2 Nephi 21, he quotes them again in 2 Nephi chapter 30 when he makes his own prophecies about Christ's second coming and the millennium. Now, of all of the verses in 2 Nephi chapter 21, perhaps the most important one for us is verse 11. In the context of the time period leading up to the second coming and into the millennium, Isaiah says, In that day, the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. So notice the Lord is setting forth his hand a second time to recover the remnant. In 2 Nephi chapter 25, Nephi is going to talk about how the Jews were put into Babylonian captivity 
and then he'll explain that they will return to Jerusalem. That would be like a first gathering. But then over and over again, Nephi and his brother Jacob will refer to a second gathering of the remnant of the house of Israel. There will be another gathering. In 2 Nephi 29 verses 1 and 2, the Lord says, At that day I shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them, that I may set my hand again the second time to recover my people. In the context of 2 Nephi 29, which we'll explore more in our next class, this is about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. In other words, the Book of Mormon will be a powerful tool in the latter days to help gather Israel. This gathering of the remnant, this reaching out for a second time, is, in the words of President Russell M. Nelson, the most important work taking place on earth today. Now, it's fun and exciting to talk about a remnant shall return, the gathering of Israel. Let's remember what Joseph Smith taught, that the Book of Mormon will bring us closer to God than any other book as we abide by its precepts. Moroni said that the gathering was about to start taking place, and we've begun to see it in our day. Again, President Nelson has taught the gathering of Israel is the most important work taking place on earth today. So the question that leaves us with is, what will you and I do today to help gather people back to Jesus Christ? How can we help a remnant of the house of Israel return to the Savior today? Thank you for listening today. We hope you'll rate this podcast and leave a review. It really helps others discover it. This course is more than a podcast. There are several additional elements, including readings, PowerPoints, and other learning resources. These are all freely available at johnhiltoniii.com slash the Book of Mormon. We hope to see you there.